It's November 11th, 2022. Hi, I'm Jack Cush. This is the Room Now podcast. We're on the eve of ACR 2022, ACR Convergence here in Philadelphia. Uh, and we're going to go over a few items from this past week in the news and then preview some of the exciting things that will be happening in the next few days as Room Now covers ACR 22. Let me begin with a study of cannabis use that actually was more prevalent during the pandemic. Can you imagine that? This is actually a study of 78,000 individuals, and they looked at jurisdictions where cannabis was legal and where it wasn't legal. Um, and uh, so there will be illegal. And so there's legal recreational, legal medicinal. I don't want to get into that. But in places where cannabis is legal in the United States, the, the use of it grew significantly during the pandemic compared to pre-pandemic levels. Um, interestingly, in non-legal states where it's illegal, it remained the same. So wider avail availability, uh, it looked like marijuana and THC products were getting sort of the same uptake as was alcohol. All those people staying home with not much to do. As you know, alcohol sales also went up during the pandemic. Not sure what that really means, but uh, again, I'm sort of always interested in the cannabis literature because it's so prevalent and widespread, yet there's little known about its true utility and efficacy, but everybody wants it. So give everybody what they want. I guess that's the way of the world these days. A study of almost 46,000 respondents for over a 20-year period shows that chronic pain has actually increased in that 20-year period, and they looked at prescription use. And not surprisingly, non-pharmacologic uh, analgesic meds uh, was much higher than the use of opioids for chronic pain, but not for surgical pain and not for cancer pain. The point of this, of course, is that it looks like um, government policies and public health measures to reduce the reliance on opioids seems to have had some effect. And congratulations to all of you who have heeded those warnings. Uh, NHANES, as, a, as you know, is an ongoing survey of, of health habits in the United States. Uh, this particular survey looked at sleep habits amongst U.S. adults over the age of 20. They looked at almost 9,000 individuals, and they found that, uh, what do you think is the average sleep time in the United States? What would be a good amount of hours if you were to get in the right amount of sleep? Well, from this study, it was 7.6 hours on work days and 8.2 hours on your free days or the weekends, I would assume. Um, about a quarter slept less than seven hours, and about a quarter went to bed at midnight or later, shame on you, um, and 30% said that they had trouble sleeping. I often quoted that 40% of the population has sleep disorders, and I think that this data is probably closer to the truth. 30% um, trouble sleeping, with 27% having daytime sleepiness. Sleep is a major problem in rheumatology. If you're a rheumatologist treating musculoskeletal pain and you don't pay attention to sleep, you've totally missed the boat. You're misdiagnosing all kinds of things. Sleep is responsible for chronic pain, chronic fatigue, strange numbness, migraine headaches, irritable bowel syndrome. I mean, it's a myriad of things that are all rooted in poor sleep. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, sleep apnea or um, 
Uh, I mean, there's a mirror, again, there's a, a wide range of sleep disorders that need to be addressed. Now, do you want to be the doctor has to manage that? That's sort of the secondary part of this. It's a beating, isn't it? Anyway, it's a reality. We're going to have to deal with it. Uh, as we know, Plaquenil is the miracle drug for lupus. Uh, it's been shown to do everything from lower blood sugar levels and lipid levels and have an anticoagulant effect and promotes better pregnancy outcomes. We do know that it has a significant effect on uh, uh, outcomes in lupus patients, including mortality. This is a meta-analysis of 21 studies, 26,000 patients, showing that SLE significantly lowers mortality risk by 54%. Um, it was also uh, uh, capable of lowering mortality risk in lupus patients with renal disease by 57%, and patients with lupus patients with cardiopulmonary disease by 63%. Again, it, why is your patient with lupus not taking Plaquenil? I don't think you have a good reason. Uh, another interesting study was a cluster analysis of only 112 patients, but they were specifically looking at what kind of patients had erosive arthritis with lupus. Uh, and what they did see that arthritis and arthralgia is quite common. Arthritis was seen in 27% um, in arthralgia and 73%. Erosive arthritis in 26% cluster analysis showed that erosive disease in lupus was, was uh, uh, more commonly associated with CNS manifestations, serositis, positive tests for ACPA, um, CAR-P antibodies, SM, RMP, and DICOF-1. Interesting analysis. Joseph Smolin did that kind of cluster analysis on lupus patients, oh my goodness, over 20 years ago, showing really how, uh, how different syndromes or different presentations of lupus do cluster. It, it, it is true. I think it's worth um, finding that paper and reviewing it again. A lot of things this week on COVID that are worth noting. Um, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the use of Anakinra, also known as Kinneret, to treat hospitalized uh, COVID patients who are test positive, hospitalized, hospitalized who have pneumonia and are requiring supplemental oxygen, um, or they're felt to be at high risk for respiratory uh, failure and other severe pulmonary outcomes with lupus. So an EUA for Anakinra now joining tocilizumab. The New York Times re uh, um, reported on an article that's in preprint phase talking about the benefits of Paxlovid um, and those individuals, this is a large population-based study, showed that individuals who had Paxlovid within five days of having a positive COVID test had a significantly lower risk of having long COVID symptoms. Interesting. Um, and it lowered the risk by 26%. This was an EMR study of COVID patients with um, risk factors for severe infection, 9,000 received Paxlovid, um, I guess 45,000 did not. And again, long COVID symptoms were symptoms of COVID lasting beyond 90 days uh, from their infection. Uh, another bit, uh, 12 patients reported with IgA-positive uh, vasculitis post-COVID vaccination. Um, these were... Males and females age 52, um, 10 of the 12 had mRNA vaccines. The time from the vaccination to the onset of IgA vasculitis, that would be a Henoch-Shodline palpable purpura kind of vasculitis, was 11.5 days. 
um, um, two-thirds of them had the vasculitis after the first dose, the other third after the second dose. They all had skin involvement. Seven of the 12 had joint involvement for GI2 renal. They were all treated with um, steroids. Is this real? Is this really a syndrome? Again, a wider range, array of strange symptoms happening post-COVID. Uh, until proven otherwise, we have to consider it. And then I, you know, I, I saw this other um, abstract in the neuro neurology literature um, talking about um, the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 uh, is capable of, of activating NLRP3 inflammasome. Um, and that may be, and of course this was looking at that uh, inflammasome activation as the initial step in the development of chronic neurologic diseases. We know the, the NLRP3 inflammasome is also involved in, in inflammation and, and, and immune events. And I think this is one of the reasons why we do see activation of our patients with, it, with their, if they have pre-existing rheumatic disease uh, uh, and they get infected, why they can get worse. Um, or patients who even after their COVID vaccination uh, either have the onset of a rheumatic disease or worsening of the uh, rheumatic disease. I think it is all driven through the inflammasome and that the, so the spike protein is being perceived as a, as a pathogen uh, pattern that drives activation. Uh, an interesting study, National Swedish Hip and Knee OA Register looked at patients who were actually seen face-to-face -face versus digitally online, almost 7,000 patients. Uh, and it turns out that while they both improved um, in their uh, outcomes, the digital patients had larger improvement in pain and function. So those of you who are saying, you know, I don't want to do digital, I don't want to do telemedicine, that's kind of crazy, it's not for me, uh, I want to get back to the old way. You know, there's, there's a growing amount of evidence that says that there are many patients who will do just as well, and in this study, they did better. Now, the question is, was the significant difference in pain and function clinically meaningful? I think we'd have to really look at the data closer to know the answer to that. I think the last big important um, news of the week was the ULAR recommendations for the management of RA with conventional biologic and targeted synthetic um, DMARDs. Um, as you know, this was presented at ULAR 2022 by Dr. Joseph Smolin, who did a fine job uh, walking us through that. They posted up their five overarching principles and 11 recommendations. The highlights of this that are new and something you might want to consider is that they were liberal. Um, unlike the ACR, who are draconian about allowing you or suggesting that you use steroids, ACR guidelines say, don't do it. Please don't do it. And if you have to, get off it. The ULAR guidelines say, sure, go right ahead. If you're going to initiate or change the DMARD, short-term glucocorticoids should be part of the regimen um, and that you should be tapered off and have them discontinue as rapidly as possible. They were, again, much more permissive. I think this is sort of up in lines with what many uh, of us in the United States will actually do. Um, they also said that uh, if patients who have been put on a, you know, a DMARD or whatnot, uh, or a biologic DMARD or targeted synthetic, after the steroids have been discontinued and the patient has sustained remission, they say that you can reduce or space out DMARD therapy, and that includes conventional biologic targeted synthetic, but they do not say that you should stop. So again, reduction is fine, stopping is not. 
I think that's important. The other thing that they say is that um, patients who you're treating, and if you don't achieve your treat-to-target goal, that you should consider adding on a biologic DMARD or a targeted synthetic. They should say you should consider a JAK inhibitor, but only after pertinent risk factors have been taken into account. It sounds fine, but in fact, it's quite permissive and liberal compared to the FDA guidelines that say, no, use a TNF inhibitor first, then a JAK inhibitor. Um, and as you know, the EMA came out with guidelines we talked about last week that they're going to get a little draconian too. So anyway, that's the news from this week. The big news is that we're starting uh, ACR coverage um, today, but really the first day is tomorrow, Saturday. I think what you should, this is my prelude to a meeting um, um, launch, if you will. I think the good news is we're back at a live meeting. This might be the first big meeting for many of you. Uh, I've been back at a number of them, and they've all gone very well. Many people will wear a mask. A lot of people won't wear a mask. That's all well and fine. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. The good thing about this meeting is it's going to be very familiar. A lot of the same old things that you're used to seeing. The great debate, curbside consults, you know, um, the year in review, the plenary sessions, etc. A few things that probably are, uh, I think, that you should note. Um, the new thing is that, at, that the posters are kind of out. There's some online posters, but... Having, instead of having 2,000 posters, they're promoting a small subset of posters, about 235, I think, in what's called Ignite Talks. Ignite Talks are poster pre oral poster presentations that are five minutes long, given in rapid succession. If, thus, in an Ignite Talk session, and there's seven of them scattered throughout the three days, they're 55 minutes, five minutes each. That's 11 presentations. Boom, 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 back to back. It's kind of like a cross between a fast-talking auctioneer and a NASCAR race. Jeez, I just hope these people speak English. I think I'm going to be numb after attending one of these uh, sessions. The question is, why? I think the ACR is doing this so that we could avoid, you know, thousands of people milling around and, and having a superseder poster event. I, I think that's the rationale behind this, but... This is like speed dating, learning poster style. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try it out. I might go poster on this. Uh, we'll see. I'll give you a recap next week. I'm looking forward to a lot of different guidelines being presented this week. Um, no major ones. I think there's a JIA remission guideline, Kawasaki's glucocorticoid-induced osteoporosis, the fifth rendition of the vaccination for rheumatic disease patients where we're getting... Um, to consider all the vaccines, not just the COVID story. Um, starting uh, today, Friday, the, the ACR review course, I would suggest that you follow um, Room Now on Twitter because all of our faculty, a number of our faculty are going to the review course and will tweet out basically great pearls that will be delivered by some of our best teachers in rheumatology. It won't be an overwhelming amount of tweets like you're going to have starting tomorrow when the meeting starts. So just the review course, you'll see, I think, really good pearls. You can follow that on Twitter. Saturday is the day, the first day of the meeting. That's tomorrow. Uh, I'm looking forward to the first big session there. I mean, opening business meeting, awards. A lot of great friends like Alan Kivitz are going to get master's awards. Um, and, um, and, the, and then starting at 1130 is the plenary session, which goes on for an hour and a half. That's in Hall A. 
The Image Competition Awards will start the session. I'm looking forward to presentations from the Mirror Study, the use of methotrexate in case in difficult gout patients, cancer screening in myositis. I talked about this yesterday in my QD clinic. Um, and a new biologic marker that drives systemic JIA and mass in kids with systemic JIA. That's all happening um, in the first half of the day uh, at the plenary session. The first Ignite session begins at 1 to 155, sessions 1A, 1B, 1C on three different stages. Again, 11 five-minute poster presentations. Again, it's going to be dizzying. Um, Sunday, they're going to have more Ignite sessions in the morning and the afternoon. Um, maybe the hallmark session of the whole meeting is the session that I'm going to be a part of at 1030 Advancing Telemedicine and Rheumatology. That's in room 108. I'm on the program with uh, Swami Ventura Pali, Jeff Curtis, Maria Danila, Ben Noel, uh, Rebecca Granger. Um, and, uh, and we're going to have a, a one-hour uh, interesting presentation on um, telemedicine and maybe why you should be reconsidering that. The great debate is in the morning. Uh, guidelines for vaccination are going to be at the end of the day on, on Sunday. Uh, and then they have a plenary session Dan Bio Registry with biosimilar switching. Um, a new, um, uh, I think this is a BTK inhibitor, Remibrutinib in Sjogren's syndrome. I'll be interested in that. As you know, I've often said nothing works in Sjogren's syndrome, so I wouldn't invest in it. Um, but we'll see. Maybe this will work out. Antifibrotics and systemic sclerosis. Also on Sunday, there's a great lecture, in the, I think in the morning, the um, Klemperer Lecture by Fred Wigley on scleroderma. Fred, you know, as you know from Johns Hopkins, is our one of our best speakers, one of our best um, teachers and researchers in scleroderma. That should be a great session as well. The last day is Monday. Uh, curbside consults, late-breaking abstracts, adult thieves markets. I think it's going to be a, a great wrap-up to the meeting. My advice to you, if you're, want, if you're on the go, don't have a lot of time to sit and watch hours and hours, is tune in to our topic panels where our faculty who are focused on one topic like RA or uh, SLE will have a topic panel discussion beginning Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be, um, you can sign up for it. We're, we're sending out invitations for the webinar if you're a rheumatologist. Otherwise, you can go to our website, our Twitter channel, YouTube channel, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're going to live stream at 7 p.m. Eastern. Starting Sunday, the lupus topic panel. Monday, the RA topic panel. Uh, Tuesday, the psoriatic arthritis topic panel. And then Wednesday, spondoarthritis. Earlier, two hours before that, there's going to be daily recaps by the faculty talking about the highlights of each day, 5 p.m. again on those same channels. A great way to learn is to tune in room, to room now during ACR 22. Hope you're going to enjoy it. Lord knows I will. More to come.